Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl 
to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR-3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. In this episode coming up, we don't get to just hear U.S. Coast Guard stories. We also get to hear some Air Force stories. Because this guy started in the U.S. Coast Guard as a rescue swimmer and then transitioned into the Air Force to be a pararescue man. It is awesome. And the couple stories that we have coming up are incredible. I absolutely loved them. So please welcome our next guest, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 533, Mr. Ashton Leverick. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Real Rescue Podcast. Man, I've got another brother with me. United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 533, as well as going a step further and going to Air Force Pararescue, Mr. Ashton Leverick. What's up, my brother? How are you? What's up, Jason? Thanks for having me, man. Dude, I'm freaking stoked to have you on here. Are you kidding me? Like, I... I know you and I have already talked a little bit, but I know some of the stories that are coming and I'm like, getting all excited about it. So (laughs) totally pumped, totally pumped. So um, the other part that was kind of cool is like you and I just talked a little bit and you and I were actually in Kodiak, Alaska for a brief moment together. You as an airman and me as just graduating school. And I I don't think they were like, yeah, don't, don't talk to him. Don't, don't tell him what's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do remember that. I actually remember that spending uh, mornings at the pool and training with you guys. Getting our um, butt kicked. Even after I was through school, I was getting my butt kicked. <laughs> yeah, there's some good, there were some beasts out there. Oh, the, our pool days in Kodiak were just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like, I know every unit yeah. probably says that, like, oh, our pools workouts were insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember like, being scared to go to the pool for like two years. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So Ashley, if you would be so kind, just kind of introduce yourself to everybody, a little bit of background about you, how you got into Coast Guard and how you became a rescue swimmer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Ashton LeBarrick's my name. I uh, graduated high school from Park City, Utah. We moved around a lot as a kid, but I grew up in the ocean for the most part. Um, I, we just happened to go to school in Utah, but essentially what happened was a buddy came to me and he's like, Hey man, I don't know about this college thing. What do you think about jumping out of helicopters and busting drug dealers? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Cause Dude, I was not actually, going to college. Pretty awesome. um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was big into surfing and snowboarding, rock climbing mountain, all, anything I could do outside, um, that had a little adrenaline behind it. So that was very appealing to me. And, uh, so I immediately went and checked it out and I signed up and my recruiter was actually a rescue swimmer. And so he was able to talk more about it, which, um, 
you know, helped out a lot. Oh, and he told me cool. the whole process, you know, because that's pretty rare that the recruiter knows exactly what you're getting into. <laughs> so <laughs> you, um, from what I understand. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. No, that's very accurate. Oh, I'm gonna go in and be a rescue swimmer. They're like, ah, oh, that's really a really a hard school. And that's about as far yeah. as they go with it. <laughs> Sorry to all yeah. my recruiter friends out there. Yeah, no, you guys don't understand. <laughs> You're not there yet. <laughs> yeah. oh, I mean, that's kind of how it started. That was the beginning of my military career. And um, yeah, I joined in 2000, no, sorry, 1998. Um, went to boot camp in like end of August, 1998. And then got stationed out in Kodiak, Alaska. And I did like the basic uh, becoming a seaman for that uh, was we're on the 41 footer out there. Didn't do anything outstanding. We just did support really. Uh, but then I worked at the airfield over in Cordova for about a year, joined, went into the airman program and that's where we ran into each other. And that's yep. where I started like my official training for rescue swimmer school. And John Hall is your mentor. Game on. That's right. <laughs> he yeah. was, yeah, he, he was, was hard then too. <laughs> man i i remember watching you guys under him oh my god yeah john hall and bob watson uh every day yeah oh my gosh you know i was a third class with them and i was scared of them (laughs) (laughs) no i freaking love those guys that's awesome well man all right so now you bust your butt um you get through school and then you came uh your first unit where'd you go First unit was Corpus Christi, um, and that was a blast. That was my first and only unit as a rescue member, actually. So um, went down there uh, with – there was a bunch of people down there, Marty Nelson, uh, Rob Williams. Um, yeah, man, Jason Christensen was down there, a bunch of guys. So it was fun. It was a really good place to be. I mean, it was warm weather, um, really nice – spring break. Uh, we did a lot of work off the oil platforms out there. And then of course, uh, shrimp season was a really big one. And then we had a lot of illegals coming over the border as well as drugs, uh, coming over the border from South Texas into South Texas. Yeah. So didn't worked with a lot of that. So it was, um, it was really fun. Yeah. That's awesome. That's All right. Some- so while you're there, you get qualified. What was your very first rescue? Very first rescue. It took a while because, and I was upset about it. You know, when you get out of school, you want to go, oh, it put me in coach, put me in coach. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I think it took, I think it took like probably eight months maybe before I got anything legit and uh, a lot of flying, a lot of just, you know, flare sightings. And so you go out searching and everything. Um, but I was taking it all in and yeah. So first rescue, uh, basically a wife called in her husband was missing and um we went out searching for him and so after i don't know four hours of flying or something um we found him he was beached on one of the intercoastal waterways and it was nighttime and um he couldn't get his boat out and he didn't want to it was it was really hard to walk because it's all like if you know the intercoastal waterways down in uh corpus christi that's you know they go forever and yeah. um, he didn't, I don't think, I don't think he could have walked anywhere. So, but um, he was close enough to land. It wasn't like an emergency. He was just an old guy, you know, out fishing. And so they lowered me down and I walk over, it was like knee deep mud or silt or whatever it was. And uh, I'm like, Hey buddy, you're all right. And he's like, yeah, I'm good. 
take me home. <laughs> so, but he was like old and couldn't walk through the, the mud or anything. So I had him and he didn't want to leave his gun. Um, fair enough. So he had his shotgun <laughs> with him. So I, I'm trying to help him. And then he, at, I'm carrying his shotgun over my shoulder and they got, I, they caught it all in the news. And so it looks, it looks hilarious. Like in the spotlight at night, you know, like I'm walking out with this guy slung gun across my shoulder and then his arm around the back. And so, but that was it. It was super easy. <laughs> and, that's that's um, pretty badass. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they almost... looked really cool on the news, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I like the gun over the shoulder. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Wild West. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, that's... I was pumped. You know, that was my first rescue. So uh, I was pretty pumped. That's awesome. Yeah. And all right. So when you got back to the shop, is everybody like, oh, congratulatorian? Like everybody's excited for you? No, nobody's, you know, nobody's there. Nobody cares. Oh, <laughs> it was a nighttime. Yeah. Right. When you get back, you have to clean up and wash, you know, and I can't even remember what I did. I like, uh, I don't know if I even called anybody, you know, because we're, it was nighttime. Nobody's at work at that point. Right, right, right. You're like, oh. like just, the, just the alert crew. Yeah. So, so you're all excited I'm by sure yourself. I, yeah. I'm sure I beat my chest when everybody came in the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, that's how I was at the time. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. What a good first case, yeah. though. I mean, like, relatively benign pretty pretty cut and dry get mm. in get the guy out yeah. oh that's awesome right on yeah so you also had a couple other uh we're gonna call them decent cases and or memorable cases out of corpus christi too what else you got um yeah so a lot of fishing vessels i thought that you know i we'd get called out for these um shrimpers and uh hats off to those guys they work really hard but there's some weird stuff that happens out on those boats, you know, guys go missing and they don't get reported for like five hours. Cause the ca shrimp captain is just in very intent about, cause it's so competitive. Like their money is in how much they make or how much shrimp they catch. Yeah. And so, you know, we get out there and they're like, yeah, he's been missing for five hours. Like, why didn't you call us five hours ago? <laughs> you know? And um, so because they, the show must go on. Um, There's that. And then there was, knife fights and so picking oh, up what? Guys got stabbed, Wait, what uh, knife fights yeah come on man yeah that's a, a whole different crowd it's like the biker gangs of the ocean i think is like these fishing vessels <laughs> um yeah so uh, yeah another one like guy got hit in the face with a crowbar or something i'm like how the hell did this happen you don't know about it so you get down on the boat and just um Okay, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. come kept... on, come on. So, yeah. Yeah. so you get launched out for somebody that got hit in the face or like facial damage or what? Yeah, broken jaw and teeth missing and stuff. And um, he wouldn't talk about it. I'm sure there was a crime involved. He would not talk about it. <laughs> okay, but he just kept so wait a minute. Thro I, throwing out got... blood and handing it to me. <laughs> oh, my God. So you get deployed. Uh, so you, you get hoisted down to the ship. Mm -hmm. evaluate the scene um yeah i mean give us yep. a little detail man come on uh okay so it would have been it was daytime um and you know i don't find anything about i don't find anything about how it happened and who we get back into the helo 
Um, so I get down there, I'm young. You got to think I was 21 years old, EMT basic at the time. Yep. Um, just amped up on everything natural, you know, just life. And uh, I get down there and there's a guy sitting on one of the nets or something, just holding his face, big old towel around his face. And he's, um, yeah. So I like look at it and he's just face is busted open. I didn't really see too much into it. His jaw probably was broken. Um, but I put him in the basket. We hoist him up. I kind of wrap his face, hoist him up and uh, we get back in the helicopter and he's like, keeps throwing up blood yeah, and handing it to me in, in back in the gauze that I, you know, wrap his face in. And so it was pretty, it was getting, and it was hot and humid in the back of the helix. So it smelled terrible and he smelled like shrimp and um, yeah, but come to find out he had been hit in the face with some, like something heavy. Um, and so we take him to the hospital, you know, and that's the last time you see him, but I know you like, you don't think about that stuff going into it. Like, is this a hostile environment? Yeah. Uh, right. Am I safe going down? Yeah. Like where's <laughs> the dude? Did, I didn't care. Dude. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't care. I was 21 and full of, you know, testosterone and chest thumping. So I didn't give a shit. I, can, I don't know if I could cuss on here, but you can do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, so that's, that one was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's a different crowd. You're just dealing with different people out there. Wow. Uh, that's yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it was funny. Dang, man. It was a good time. All right. So you had to deal with the, uh, I didn't, again, you and I talked about that. I don't know the story, but you had to deal with a, a helicopter crash down there, too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, um, they use helicopters to get back and forth from the um, from the land to the oil rigs out there. So they have a lot, ton of oil rigs off the coast of uh, of Texas, right? So these they use these little bell optic helicopters to hop from oil rig to oil rig, and then back to back to the mainland. <clears throat> and one of them went down at some point, and we got the call. And actually, I was on the crew, the relieving crew, so the crew ahead of me went out searching. They were out searching for probably eight plus hours, I assume, because they wow. ran out of fuel, came back. And we used to go re refuel on these oil rigs. So we would do the same thing. We just, to keep the search pattern going and we, without having to come back to station. So yep. um, I think I relieved them and we went out and searched and we actually ended up finding, um, never found the helicopter, but found three patients. And there was five people. So two people went down with the helicopter, unfortunately. Oh, man. Um, yeah. So they hoisted me down. Beautiful day. It was just super easy. It was just hoisting me down. I'm like, hey, how are you guys doing? They couldn't talk. So the water temperature was probably around 70 degrees. Okay. Or maybe a little bit less. So it was, it was cool. And they were all hypothermic. All three of them were hypothermic. And they were spread out. So they weren't all together. Um, and by hypothermic, I mean, like these guys could barely talk. They could not talk. Wow. So I had to do everything for them. Um, looking back, you know, ignorantly, I only, we only had wool blankets to give them when they got in the helicopter and they could barely move. Um, so, yeah, but that one was interesting because, you know, you don't, you forget sometimes, like you think you're going to see a crash really easy. You see, or you'll see the survivors. You don't, it's really hard to see a survivor's head and even nice, calm weather. Oh yeah. And so it took, it probably took like 10 hours of searching to find those guys, not me personally, but total with the crew ahead of me. And, um, 
Yeah. So, so that one is funny. Cause I was going through the paramedic program at the local college at the time. Okay. And we pulled up, we landed at the, at the, um, at the hospital to drop these guys off. And these guys were so cold and we only had these old school, like us army. I don't know why we carried those honestly, <laughs> but that's all we had. No rewarming packs, nothing like that. Yeah. And these guys are face down on the stretcher going into the, into the hospital with me, walking them in um, with a, like a couple of nurses. And my whole paramedic class was just like, you know, making fun of me for that when they saw that on the news. Cause like, that's bad patient care, honestly, you know? Yeah. Um, but well, I was young and um, you I, learn a lot. <laughs> I was just going to say that like one, you know, yeah. we all started somewhere. Now this is what's interesting. And I, you know, I don't think there's a lot of talk about, this in particular uh, part of it, as far as U.S. Coast Guard goes, is we're all EMT basics, number one. Most people know that. Mm -hmm. EMT basic yeah. is you can throw some O2 on there. You can give activate a charcoal. You can give them some uh, sugar. You know, like, that's about it. You know, other than that, you know, your, your boon care, stabilization. Um, but when you talk about that, the other side of it is when you get done with your EMT school, you get put on the helicopter. You, there's not like a mentor that you're going out with. Like most of the ambulances and stuff and other areas that you go to, you have somebody with you to make sure that your medicine is up to date. No, not so much with us. We just, oh, you graduated, yeah. you passed? Yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> and you're kind yeah. of learning on the fly. So, yeah, yeah. like I... Now thinking about that, like what you just talked about, if they had, um, and I, I don't remember if there's a warm heat packs in there, but heat packs underneath the arms in between the groin, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. whatever you can do, crank the heat up in the aircraft, maybe a hypothermia bag. If there's something there and drop them in. Gosh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Warm I mean, I don't fluids. know what their core temperature was, but they, yeah, they were in the water a long time, you yeah. know, probably. You know what? Now I'm trying to think about, it. I think it was six hours. It was six hours. I think they were in the water. So anything, if the body temperature drops more than, I think it's like five degrees, you're starting to, or more than one degree. If the core temperature of the body drops more than one degree, your body is already starting to go into, um, hypothermia. So now it's not extreme. Like you just start shivering at that point, but you know, 70 degree water, we think, Oh, that's great. That's perfect water. I want to go swimming in 70 degree, but if you're sitting in it for five hours, right. You are um, cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those guys were probably, you know, close to shutting down, honestly. Um, they couldn't move. <laughs> they couldn't talk, wow. but Did me, you I'm just get like, yeah, all... I, got, I rescued them. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Come on. Did you, um, <laughs> did you get all the guys? Like, all right. You said they were spread out. So deploy, get guy, guy number one, bring him up to the aircraft. Did you go back mm -hmm. up to the aircraft or just keep swimming over to the next guy? No, they were like, they were spread out by probably, you know, maybe a quarter mile each. So, Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So pick me up and then go back, go down and get the next one, you know, fly over, get the next one. Basket pickup um, or did you do it? Were you doing like quick drop hypothermic lift? Uh, basket. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Basket for that one. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, just textbook in and out, picking them up, but yeah. they deployed, jumped out and then basket pickup. But yeah, um, you don't realize how, yeah, how close those guys, you know, they were pretty close to, 
<laughs> maybe another hour. I don't know. I don't know how long it would have lasted, but wow, that's that's crazy to think about, you know. You know, I, that yeah. that's so one of the other moves, you know. Again, we we talk about different techniques and stuff, but the the Coast Guard did the hypothermic lift, the double lift with two the the quick strop and then the the regular strop. The regular strop goes around your mm -hmm. chest and the quick strop went underneath your knees to keep you right. in that like called the Z position or like the seated position, mm -hmm. kind of like a lazy boy. It was to prevent the the hypothermic cold in the blood in the legs to basically shock the heart on your pickup. So yeah, yeah, good idea. Deer in the basket, put them in the basket. <laughs> I didn't think Gosh, about that's it. freaking yeah. hilarious. That's awesome. Uh, Again, I mean, you know, whatever. You got them out of the out of the water. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The two, it's, it was funny to find out later though, like it was a controlled, controlled crash. They knew they were crashing oh. and they weren't going to make it to the next, um, to the next oil rig. Yeah. So they, uh, I guess they came down to the, close to the ocean and guys started bailing out as they were doing. And that's why they were spread out. But then the pilot with the, the two pilots were the last two and they, they ended up, they never were found as far as I know. Oh, it's terrible. It's too yeah. bad. Or actually, I think one was found. One of them was found. And here's a cool, here's, it's not cool. It was always interesting to me. Whenever we found bodies in the ocean, they were always naked. Oh. And I think like the water, yes, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know where your experience, but anytime a body had been floating down the ocean for a long time, like all their clothes come off. Like yeah. some, you know, the yeah. sea people are taking them. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I, I but, don't um, have too many. Uh, yeah, Darren Smith found the other one. Oh, really? Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you knew him, but I did not. But we'll need to get him on here so I can hear his stories too. So you tell me about picking up he's, he, dead yeah. naked people. Yeah. He picked the, he picked up the dead the deceased naked naked ones. Oh. Well, one of them. The other oh. one I don't think ever was ever found. But yeah. Dang, that's crazy. Wow. It's a good time. <laughs> well, well done. Well done. Uh, all right, so then you had another one that you and I kind of talked about offline, and that was uh, you had to deal with spring breakers quite a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that one was fun. You know, yeah. So every year, spring break, Corpus Christi just goes off the chain. Like, all these kids come down from College Station, from Houston and everywhere, and they, they come and they live on the beach. They party on the beach because you can drive on the beach and camp and drink. And um, so I was moonlighting as a – lifeguard also down at the beach because we would do tropical <laughs> hours so I had, yes. like after the yeah after um after we'd get we would work from i think it was like seven in the morning till one in the afternoon and then we'd be off and so i'd go work at the beach too as a lifeguard but at one night i think it was like like a weekend night um we got called down i was on duty with the coast guard got called down to the beach um they were there's some people missing so the cops had showed up and broke up a party probably um and probably what happened was there was a bunch of underage people well two people went into the ocean and never came out so they called the coast guard um so we flew out and we found them pretty quick you know because obviously the cops are just using the headlights and flashlights to look out in the ocean but we found them with the spotlight pretty quick and um, just two heads in the water. And if you've ever been down to Corpus Christi, there's sandbars. So it's like you walk out, it gets deep. Then it, 
you swim out a little bit more and there's a sandbar and you can stand and then it, there's a couple of those and you can keep going out and they were out at like second or third sandbar and so you know me being me <laughs> put me in put me in you know so i'm like on the on the radio like tell, like i'm ready to go in like i was in the door and um the pilot um she was like no they look like they're fine let's just hold off and so we held off for a minute and i'm I'm like, what the heck are we doing? Let's go. And these two girls start, I didn't know they were girls actually. These two people start um, moving back into the shore because they're like, oh, well, the gig's up. I think we're busted. And once they start getting to where it's actually shallow, instead of standing up, they're just crawling on their hands and knees. And um, yeah, this transpired over like 45 minutes of this. And then one of them stands up and I was like, man, one of them looks like they got a, white shirt on with a belt buckle on their back <laughs> they were butt naked <laughs> and <laughs> it was a you know it was a tattoo on her back and one of them just is like ah it's over and she just gets up and runs to the the cop car and gets in the back and then the other one you know stays on her hands and knees and crawls all the way in <laughs> but um yeah it was pretty funny i was like oh man that would have been an epic story like why why yeah. didn't we pick him up you thanks know? a lot so, ma'am sorry yeah <laughs> But that was fun. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Hilarious. I mean, you see all sorts of fun stuff. That's hilarious. Good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had some fun in Corpus. I gave Christi. her a lot of crap. I, you know, yeah. I would have as well. It's, you know, what we could have had the whole thing <laughs> yeah. done in five minutes, maybe ten. Yeah, yeah. I probably would have taken a little more time. Sorry, and all my. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's hilarious. Yeah. Hey, we're. We were all young at one point and we started out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go get yeah. her. That's awesome. All right. So now let's transition a little bit. And you, you decided like, okay, I want to up my game. I want to go to like another level of SAR. And you, <laughs> how did that happen with the going into the air force and pararescue? Um, yeah. So 2001, you know, everybody's tracking twin towers happened. Um, I was on duty at the time, got, you know, they're like, Hey, we just, some, some plane just ran into the twin towers. And I remember coming into Washington, everybody's, you know, everybody watched it probably on the news. If, if they didn't watch it live, they watched it later, but we were watching it live. I saw the second plane hit and somebody said on there that we're going to war. And I remember thinking like, well, then if that's the case, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm going to go to war because for me, it was always about um, doing the most amazing thing I could think of. Um, so whatever it was, if it was jumping off, jumping out of a tree, if it was jumping out of helicopters, if it was, I always wanted to be challenged. Um, so I always sought the next biggest challenge. I was going to paramedic school. I was going like, I don't know. That's just how I've always been. Um and, uh, yeah, so that happened, but I still had about three years on my enlistment. So I started really looking into what I wanted to do. So it was, it was good and bad in the sense that I was itching to go, like I wanted to get out, go to war, go to go be challenged, go do, do that stuff. But it also helped me really evaluate, well, what do I want out of the military? Right. So, yeah. cause there's a lot of great, um, military units. And, you know, where do I want to, where do I think I'll excel and where do I want to, want to be? 
Um, and so after a lot of research, I started looking at pararescue for the Air Force. You know, naturally, you'd think that's a good transition from rescue swimmer. Um, but I looked at all of them. I looked Rangers, SFs, uh, Special Forces, SEALs, you know, Marine Recon. I looked at all that stuff. Um, and I was, it was up in the air between the SEALs and pararescue. But what I found out with pararescue is you get to do it all. You get to, as a PJ, you'll get to deploy with all the special operations teams um, as a combat medic for them. And so that's pretty awesome. That made sense to me. And, and you get fast track, you get, so it's a two year pipeline, uh, meaning two years in training, but you do all the schools. So for, for example, like special forces, they do a, you know, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but they do a bunch of their schools, but they don't get jump um, like halo or dive school. Um, we all, I guess PJs, we get that right off the bat. So, um, and then seals, I did call, I was going to go seal. And then it was like, you'd have to spend another, they did, they used to do the same thing we did in the coast guard where you do two year or a certain amount of time before you go to your A school. So before I would go to buds, I'd have to go to, to go do like two years on a ship. And I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And, so, uh, um, which I would agree with as well. You've already done X amount of time. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. yeah. The air force was basically like, yep. Uh, once you get out of the coast guard, you can come straight over and you'll, you won't go to basic training. You'll just go straight to, um, they call it indoctrination back in the day, yep. a pararescue indoctrination in San Antonio, Texas. And so, but it was interesting. It was a weird time. So I got out in 2004 and they weren't taking any prior service, um, in the air force. So I, <laughs> this isn't something we talked about. I sold all my stuff and I, uh, took a backpack, my snowboard and surfboard and just traveled for about a year and a half. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sir, before do you have they call luggage back. check onto the plane? Yes, I have the surfboard and the snowboard. Sir, it's, uh, yep. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sick. Uh, I did a lot of cool stuff there too, but not related to the military, obviously. Well, we might have to circle back to that because that's pretty awesome. Just <laughs> when you're traveling, yeah, surfing and snowboarding. Sick. Yep. yep. My wife yeah. would tell me no right now. No, Jason. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. All right. So now yeah, yeah. let's 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 uh let's keep going because you once you get through Indoc, then you end up like I give me a rundown as a how I don't know exactly how that happens. So you get through Indoc. Yeah. You're qualified PJ. Then what? Um. Yeah. So Indoc's about two months or was um started with somewhere around like 60 or 80 guys graduated i think um nine of the original class maybe 12 with some of the setbacks and then you go on to you go to uh that's at lackland air force base then you go over to uh, shoot kirtland air force base which is new mexico and from there you're doing combat dive school down in florida you're doing airborne which is Alabama or Georgia I can't remember Georgia I think it is and then you do Halo in southern Arizona Sear school in Washington State paramedic school which is local and then you'll do some you'll do your ride-alongs and um, your uh, you have to do time at a hospital and a um, fire engine and so I did that down in um, where did I do that out uh, southern Arizona as well um, Nice. And then you do a six month like train up and where you put it all together and you do, full, they call them full mission profiles, start to finish. So 
for PJ, you know, you're doing everything from combat stuff to extrication to high angle stuff, parachuting in to rescuing people, you know, you do, you do a whole gamut. Um, so it, it was a blast. It was just, it was right up my alley. I loved it. Um, God, that's cool. I, did I dig well. that. Yeah. I got, I got to keep, um, E5. So I was in charge. Oh, great. Here's a great story though. While in Indoc, uh, I was, I was an E5. So they thought I was transferring over from some other job to come and be a PJ. And they expected me to lead all these guys that are right out of basic training that are in, in doc at that point. And so at one point we're doing, we're treading water and you imagine, you know, an in doc, like I said, it was like 60 people yeah. at one point, I don't know, 60 plus people at one point. <clears throat> and, and that's in the beginning. So um, we're all treading, they would have you line up in the pool in rows. So I think it was like rows of five or something. And you're all treading water. And uh, at one point they're like staff sergeant, which is what an E5 is in the air force. And I like sing the Air Force song. And I've been in the Air Force like three weeks. I was like, I don't know the Air Force song. And um, that's when they find found out I was a prior rescue swimmer. Yep. I was like, I don't know. I started to sing it. I started to sing it. And I was hoping everybody else would like, I knew the first phrase. That was it. And I, that's when I thought, you know, I was hoping everybody else would chime in. Nobody yeah. chimed in, but the instructors like freaked out. Like, what the fuck are you like? How have you, how long have you been in the air force? And I'm like three weeks. <laughs> and that's, so that's what and the, here's, this is a great, actually a good story. I forgot about this. So they started yelling at me and I, they find out I was a rescue swimmer for the coast guard. And at that moment, at that month was when Ashton Kutcher's movie came out, the guardian, the guardian So nationally, like, they had all seen it and so they start reenacting that stuff making me carry like the you know all the uh pool furniture like i'm treading water with it over my head they thought it was hilarious they were calling me ashton all the way up until graduation and at one point and i thought they knew that was my name and at one point one of the instructors is handing me my graduation certificate and he's like your name's really ashton and i was like yeah and they they were calling me Ashton because of Ashton Kutcher, obviously, you know. Oh my gosh, I love it. That's yeah. hilarious. So that was that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that's all in the training side of it. Um uh, but so yeah, I, yeah. So graduated in 2008 and got stationed in Okinawa, Japan right after that. Oh, sweet. So, Very cool. Yeah, I did three years out in Okinawa. That was beautiful. You ever get a chance? It's like the Hawaii of Japan. Um, beautiful area. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Wait, your name is really Ashton? <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. Joke's like, on you. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, they, they would walk in and just, you know, like Ashton drop and drop, drop just means start doing push ups, you know? Yep. So I'm like, fuck, you know? So, you know, they love me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you for everybody that made the movie The Guardian. That's hilarious. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, you ruined my life. No, <laughs> at least for like two months. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right, so yeah. you uh, you also did a deployment with the pararescue guys, and you have kind of a gnarly rescue, like going into some stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I got 10, 10 combat deployments, ten plus. Ten uh, deployments total. Deployment. Wow. How long were yeah, your deployments? And, um, I was with 
Yeah. So we did four months. So it came out to about five months with travel, maybe um, about, but four months on the ground deployments. Um, wow. Cause I was always with uh, special operations teams and their deployment cycles are a little smaller, shorter. Uh, gotcha. It's better for psych recovery and um oh yes yeah it was was, we were lucky trust me like some of those marine and army units were doing a year plus uh at the beginning of the war yeah that's a long time yeah Yeah. so right on all right um, so i i know there's some things you can talk about and there's some things you can't but i'll take whatever you've got man (laughs) yeah i mean i'll talk about uh, yeah yeah i'll talk about most of it um yeah, so 2010 was my first combat deployment. Yeah, first combat deployment. Because how it works is you get to your unit, you got to get fully qualified, obviously. So I got to my unit in 2008, but we were only deploying one person at a time um, out of Okinawa at that time. And so I got, uh, you know, you do a lot of stuff. We we're doing a lot of training with other countries and stuff like that before I deployed. Um, but yeah, I deployed as a combat search and rescue team this is the only time i've done combat search and rescue believe it or not i've always been attached to other soft teams okay special operation forces teams um but yeah so 2010 balad iraq um you know operation iraqi freedom uh we were hunting you know the top tier of uh what what was it of of that was of um Saddam Hussein's yeah 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 all all his people so I think one night we were going after I use that loosely because we were supporting I wasn't part of the direct action force on this one Uh, we were the combat search and rescue team so we would fly in a helicopter as kind of a chase bird or we forward stage somewhere Um, and we were going after number three uh, so number three in command, I don't know if you remember this, but they did a deck of cards of all the, <laughs> yeah, this bring back a lot of memories. So there was a deck of cards of all the bad guys, um, in power under Saddam Hussein. Saddam would have been like the, you know, at the top. Right. Yeah. Um, and we hadn't, I think we'd already found Saddam. We had found Saddam in 2009 and prosecuted him and everything. And, but now there were still people out there on the run, part of insurgency and everything. And so we fly out to go after number three. He was number three in the country at the time. And uh, it was four helicopters full of assault, four assault birds, and then one combat search and rescue bird. Uh, Plenty of ISR. ISR is just unmanned or manned um, aerial vehicles that watch the whole thing and report back. And they look for, you know, they look for bad guys and all that stuff. Um, So, but anyway, on infill, on infiltration, the four birds are doing what's called a phased infill. So one after another, um, and they do it really quick, quick. They, they land, everybody gets off, takes a knee, and then they take off. And then those guys run off. And, but what happens out in the desert is kind of, they call it a, a um, brownout. Oh, yeah. And so this is with the, yeah, this with the 160th, um, which is, the, you know, everybody knows them from probably the, uh, Black Hawk Down movie. Those, that's the one sixtieth. That's the elite of the helicopter um, pilots and, and crew. They're, these guys are really good pilots. But there were four Blackhawks, uh, which is a sixty an HH sixty, and Coast Guard has them too. Really great bird, really powerful. Uh, but they were coming down. I think the last bird was full of Rangers, and um, 
the, the last two birds, it started getting really brown out. So a lot of dust is getting kicked up. And so the pilots can't see, they lose spatial awareness. And I think the last bird, what happened, you, you see it on the video, it comes in and just, just didn't know where the ground was and went too far too fast and just hit, bounced. And so guys are already unbuckled and I use unbuckled loosely. They were, Ready we used to, to have, yeah. yeah, you have a, we call it a cow's tail. You have like a, yeah. a piece of webbing with two carabiners and one goes to your belt, which is usually like some type of riggers belts or something. And then one goes to the floor of the helicopter. So they had like 20 Rangers in the back, maybe, maybe not 20, but they had quite a few Rangers in the back and they're all in the, either have already taken theirs off or they're in the process of taking their cow's tail off unhooking. Yep. And so when that thing hit, it rolled and rolled, I think once or twice, and um, they were really lucky, honestly, because it rolled and only one guy got crushed um, and he, he ended up dying. But the rest were minor injuries, which was was crazy. So we got the call. We were trail birds. So we're staying in the sky, diverting holes in the sky, just uh, circling. And um, yeah, they call us in. And I remember my team leader, he hits me, he, you know, hits me really hard on the shoulder he's like do you hear that and of course you know your adrenaline just goes through the roof because at that point there the gunfire is going off there you know there's a bunch of fighting on the ground um and we can see it you can see it all because you, you're it's nighttime you're on night vision and you can see all the flashes and you know you're just you're already like holy crap this is awesome as you you know i was i love I was what you just said right there oh my yeah. god this is awesome i'm right there okay. with you no, I mean, that's uh, like, oh yeah. my lord, bullets flying. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So a lot of, I mean, you see the, you see the laser, I call it a laser light show. Every, every operator has a, um, you know, a laser on their gun, as well as all the lasers coming from the sky, from the ISR birds that are pointing out bad guys. So when you watch these battles, it looks like something out of, it's in, insane. So, um, and then, you know, Fast forward several years and I'm on the ground doing the same thing. But anyway, they, they call us in, he hits me and my adrenaline goes through the roof and I'm just like putting on my med ruck. And we, so we used to carry, there was, it would have been team leader, two PJs and a combat controller and then a small Ranger team. And so the small Ranger team is for security, the two PJs, and then the team leader doing the team leaders, managing the CCP and the crash site. And then the two PJs. So me and the, the other PJ, we are, um, less experienced, but we're man, we'll be managing all the patients and the extrication if there's extrication. So we carry jaws of life on our back, a sawzall, we carry a heavy lift kit to, with a bunch of ropes and pulleys and stuff. So if we have to stabilize or pull somebody off the side of a mountain or something like that. Wow. Um, and then as well as two full, two full med rucks. Um, so we have that all on our back and I'm so starting to get that on. And if you've ever been in the back of the helicopter trying to put on like a, you know, hundred pound ruck or whatever it was, 60 pound, maybe, I don't know ruck it's it's you know it's a mess and so you, like there's four of us back there bumping around doing that and we land and naturally like you think this is an emergency so i go to run to the helicopter crash and again like you hear the gunfire everything's gone you're just amped up um and my team leader just i remember like it was yesterday he, he just slams his hand in front of my chest as i'm about to start as i'm about to start running and he's like you know take it easy let's walk to the scene and size it all up, you know, um, don't run to your death. So 
Wow. The don't first run thing in combat death. search and rescue. What a good piece yeah. of advice right there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. He's a really good dude. Uh, you know, I learned a lot on that deployment. And that was kind of the um, you know, one of those guys you learn a lot and take away, and like that's how I want to run everything I do, just with that calm, cool, calm, collected mentality. Um, and so he's just walking. He's it looks like he's just strolling to <laughs> He's just kicking up dust, like walking, taking it all in. There's the gunfire. Everything's going off over to the left of us. He's just like, he's been doing this for a while. He's yeah. just chilling, you know, and the Rangers were the same way. They were so, you got to understand Rangers are young. They're, I can tell a ton of stories about Rangers. There's something else, but um, <laughs> good people, but they're young. They're young. Like you think I was 30 years old, a lot of experience, a lot of training, even more training, probably more training than I knew what to do with. And these Rangers, like they don't even go to Ranger school before they deploy some of them, you know? So they're, when it comes to tactics and like maturity level, they're still pretty young. Like their, their fire team leader for the Rangers is only 21. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're doing the same thing and he's telling them the same thing. He's like, Hey, chill. You know, you guys take the left side, you guys take the right side. We're walking up and we walked right up and it was one of the pilots is out and you just kind of, he walks up and he's like, Hey, how you guys doing, sir? <laughs> it's just like super chill. Like it was fucking awesome. I'm like, and, and, but, but that's the, that's it, right? Like that's the tone you want. You want that mentality where, because you're so calm, everybody else gets calm with too. Right. And so it, that was it. There was one person that was, um, that was deceased. Um, and then there, everything else was like a couple, like a broken arm, some head injury, like I think some scrapes and bruises and other, the broken leg, one of the other helicopters had landed because as they phased in the first helicopter that took off, came back and picked up the guy with the broken leg right away. That's how good the 160th is. They're just really quick. They're like, Oh, bird went down, turned around, landed and picked up whoever they could pick up right away. And so they picked up uh, a couple of the Rangers that could still walk and everything. And one of the guys who had the broken leg. And so yeah, 160 is awesome. I, I would, I'll say that all day. Some of the best pilots in the world, best crew members. But yeah, so walk up and yeah, just start it. He, my team leader's like, all right, Ashton, you go assess the crash scene. And then the other PJ he had him working the first patient. Um, and so I was looking, making sure we had. So the biggest thing in a combat search and rescue is um, the first thing is security. And so the sent, he sends the Rangers out at like North, South, East, West, and they're setting up security. And then for me, it was accountability. We need to make sure we have everybody we're supposed to have. So he's on the horn, making sure he knows how many people got picked up and left off, you know, and how many people should there actually be. So are yeah. we looking for bodies? Are we looking for people that are out in the desert? Cause it rolled several hundred yards, maybe. And, um, so that's me, I'm doing the cordon walking in concentric circles, looking for people and then debris, um, and pacing it out, pacing out how far the, for this debris was, we get head count, start treating patients, like everything from broken finger to broken leg to a deceased guy. So, um, wow. It was a huge eye opener for me. It was a good, it was a good first rescue. It was great having him as a team leader on the ground. Um, he's, he was really calm, learned a lot and uh successful mission uh oh and yeah so they didn't find the guy they were looking for that night but they did found they did find somebody who claimed to be his wife and I, we talked about this um earlier so 
we went back in the morning. So they took this lady off target and she was claiming to be the guy's wife, number okay. three's wife and uh, took her back and they started interrogating her or no, no, they didn't take her back. She was on target, I think. And she was claiming to be the wife and they essentially were like, no, this isn't her. Cause it didn't look right on the picture. And fast forward, like, I don't know, six hours till the morning. Cause they hit several targets looking for this guy. Okay. And, um, and these are like fat, hard and fast hit the target, run through, clear the target, get everybody under control. Nope. Our guy's not here and go to the next one. And so get back in the helos and go to the next one. So that it was really fast. Um, but come early morning, and it was like six in the morning there, somebody was like, I think that was his wife. And so they go back to that first place where the helicopter crash was and everything. Yep. And um, they go back and like, Hey, you are who you are. Say you are. What, where are you saying he's at? And basically she's like, yeah, he's down here underneath the toilet. And uh, so they get in a gunfight with him and start dropping grenades down there. And he ends up, he ends up clacking himself off. He had a S vest, a suicide vest on, but yeah. So <laughs> yeah. But, all right. Yeah, so that's where do, I, do you know why, yeah. why she like ratted him out or what? Yeah. Well, he, she didn't like that. He was, I think he was sleeping around or something. So oh. that was the story. Yeah. So uh. yeah. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. <laughs> so it was a long night. It was it was a long night, but it was good. A lot of good stuff. Wow, dang man, <laughs> that is gnarly. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. And well, I still had I don't know three months left on that deployment. <laughs> oh, that was like the start. Jeez, oh man. Yeah. Ashton, that's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good day, good day. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that was my first deployment. Um, you know, I flew. I got two air medals out of that one. We flew. We flew every night. There were missions every night. It was just, as I call it, a target-rich environment. So we were chasing um, Saddam's regime perform you know the whole time i was there and then we switched out and it continued so then i went back to okinawa japan and i'll kind of fast forward the rest of my career i guess and you, you tell me what else you want to talk about but um yeah so okinawa japan finished three years there i was deployed to the philippines uh it was actually a combat deployment although we just lived in hotels and trained up the uh the filipino anti-terrorism teams and cool. they would go out and fight and then come back and shoot with us. So it was cool. Um, so I was the medic for this, uh, what they called back then a SIF team, Commanders and Extremist Force, which is great. I'd learned a lot of CQB, a lot of combat training for like uh, housing, uh, moving through buildings, houses, which pararescue doesn't do necessarily. Right. Um, and then because of that, I was I went on to a higher unit, the 24th STS um, in the Air Force, which is, we do a lot more of that stuff. So I, I went on to the 24th. I moved from Okinawa, I don't know, 2011 or something. And then I was there for the rest of my career at the 24th SES. And there I was deployed with SEAL teams and then other special operations teams, uh, more in a direct action sense. So I wasn't ever doing combat search and rescue. I was always the combat medic on the ground. So we with had to be teams. trained to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were inserted into to. the other special forces teams mm -hmm. to go out on deployment or to whatever the target yep. is. Yeah. 
Okay. Yep. Dang, so, man. Good for you. Did a couple hostage rescues, did a couple, did a ton of, you know, ton of deployments. Like I said, like, so 10 combat deployments. Wow. Um, it's really fast paced. It's a good, you know, it was good for me because I, like I said, I've always been an adrenaline junkie. I think I, I did my personality test one time. It's like, you're a risk taker. <laughs> Okay. oh yeah yeah that, that's yeah. me too oh. <laughs> yeah so it was great but it was it's hard on family life um totally is. so you know yeah so i was gone probably about 250 days a year between deployments and then training and wow um, yeah that's a long time to be gone so, yeah so 2000 year what was it 2000 may of 2000 i retired um and honestly, if the war was still going on, I probably would have stayed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife was over it, but yeah. Yeah, but when you're having a good time, you're not really working. It's yeah. it's uh, it's more fun than mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Ashen, that is awesome. Well done, sir. Well yeah, done. Show's not great. over, you know. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. What else so, can we do? What else yeah. can we do? <laughs> Well, man, I, dude, the stories are have been just insane. I, I, dude, I love all this stuff. It's it's crazy how much I love this <laughs> stuff. It, you know, I live vicariously through everybody and all their stories. So thank you for sharing all those freaking awesome. Things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm the same way. I think a lot of people are. I'm yeah. a huge fan of. Uh, you ever heard of Counting Coup? No. What is that? Yeah, this is cool. Like, so we formed a team at my old unit. Um, we were able to do a lot of innovative new stuff. And so we had to come up with, uh, you know, you want to brand that team. So everybody has allegiance to it and like really buy in. And, and so one of the things that we, I did was build the flag for it, build the, the, the t-shirts and all that stuff, as well as like who we are and what we stand for. And so me and another guy were really into it. Um, but counting coup is the Indians, American Indians, when they would go into battle, if you can think of like last of the Mohicans, there's a, that scene when they get ambushed. Um, there's a long line of, of whatever, whatever they were American settlers or whatever, after leaving some big battle and they get ambushed yeah. by the um, Indians yeah. and the Indians would run up and like, they want to get first strike. Um, you want to do heroic, amazing, heroic uh, acts. And then you get to put a notch in your stick. You have a, a coup stick. And that, and that notch, so a coup in French is cuts. So it's like you're counting the cuts. Okay. And those are all the, the feats that you did in battle, all the heroic things you did in your life. And so you'd sit around the fire and count coup. And that's what we used to talk about. And that's, that is essentially what, you know, men that have done things like in the military are, they do, they're counting coup. And I think there's a lot of, um, psychological uh benefit to it just being able to deal with that being able to talk with other people yeah about it i Um, totally agree yeah yeah so that's counting coup is um yeah that's that's what it is oh i like that yeah if you look it up um yeah you can see the history of it from the american indians till now but um yeah like my buddy branded it and um he is now runs a tactical advising um on he's on instagram and he's always doing videos about different tactical stuff so counting coup okay counting coup tactics is i think is what his company is called so oh, i like it good dude yeah i think that's why i like listening to you you're just 
you're telling all your kids yeah. right no, now I mean, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep that's oh, what it's that's all cool. about yeah man that's awesome yeah well i'll tell you what man I, I i'm gonna bring the floor over to you as far as anything else you want to talk about you know um you know clarity commitment taking action to achieve anything oh yeah yeah we, we've talked a yeah. little bit about it but uh advice that you would pass on to everybody else man like you've been through a lot a lot of years of experience two different services lots of training and then i do want to touch on what you're doing right now because i think it's pretty awesome um yeah so <clears throat> i think you know at some point i would like to write a book there it is it's open out in the open so um, <laughs> come on yeah. but I, I i would like to write a book because i think what one of the things that's not wrong or missing, maybe missing, you know, a lot, a lot of people are lost right now. They <clears throat> don't know what they want out of life. And so they, excuse me, they bounce from job to job or <clears throat> they feel unfulfilled in some level. And I think a lot of that comes with um, what you just said. So uh, being clear about what you want, committing yep. to it and taking action. And, and it's so simple. And yet, because of today's society where we give trophies out for losers um, and it's okay to quit, quit wow, jobs. Way to be blunt. To You're accurate, yeah. but yeah. way to be blunt. Yeah. You know what? About time somebody said it, giving trophies yeah. well, to losers. I mean... What did Ashton Kutcher say? You know what the number two is? To let the guy behind me know what place he's in. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I mean, that's what it is though. Like number totally. two didn't want it. He nope. didn't, he didn't want it. He didn't know what he want. If he did know what he want, he wasn't committed to it. Right. And then, um, taking action every day. And so like, you know, you have all these people with that victim mentality these days that everything is everybody else's fault. You know, like my situation is not my fault. Um, but I, I challenge you to say, take, take accountability of it. Like, what do you actually want out of life? Do you want to jump out of helicopters and bus drug dealers? Do you want to live an amazing life? Do you want to make a ton of money? Do you want to have a good relationship with your wife? Do you want healthy kids? What the fuck do you want? Right. And so, well, I mean, shit, <laughs> like, because people complain about it, like, Oh, my kids, my wife, my, this, my life, my I'm overweight. I can't do it because I can't run. I can't do it because, you know, whatever race, gender, whatever is popular to say, whatever excuse, like, fuck all that, man. Like, what the fuck do you want? So, um, that's just, you know, that's kind of the mentality I've taken. And, and then the systematic, it's cool because when you get really clear about what you want, then you know what the next step is, you know? Right. So if you want to make it, if you want to make a couple million dollars in the next couple of years, instead of saying, this is impossible. Or instead of like, if, oh, I want to go be special operations or I want to deploy and do these amazing things, or I want to make a million dollars, or I want to have a beautiful wife with an amazing family. Like you can, once you get really clear about the end goal, you know what the next step is. So what is, so for me, I remember I got to Indoc and I was a little bit more experienced, um, but I've always been like this. Like when I have a goal, I would, I used to journal a lot. I still do a little bit, but with my goals and I would journal my goals. And so when I got to Indoc, I knew exactly what, so Indoc, you have to pass a PT test every week at the, on Monday of the week, or you did, I don't know, things probably changed now, but, and I knew you have to do so many pushups run so far, so many pull-ups, um, swim and, uh, sit-ups and, you know, but every week it gets more running, more swimming and the times 
you know, you'll have a set amount of time. So like maybe week one, it was like 50 pushups, but week two is, you know, 60 and it would go, keeps going up. Um, same with the swim and the runtime. So it was like a mile and a half the first week and then two miles the next week. And by the end, you're running six miles and swimming 4,000 meters and hundred pushups, hundred sit-ups and 15 or 20 pull-ups or something like that. So it was, I got really clear. Like I wrote down, I want to graduate from Indoc in eight weeks because a lot of people get set back. Right. And this yeah. is just life. This is just how life is. People get set back. And the, my biggest takeaway from that was in war and in Indoc in places like that, in rescue swimmer school, things happen really quickly because the emotion, because you realize how committed you are very quickly. Oh, yeah. How committed to am I to this goal? When you go to college for four years, it's it can be tough. Like, how committed are you to to graduating with this degree? It could change several times. You could go get a job. You could leave college, come back. Like, how com- it's very slow to develop. But in war, in like in doc, in rescue situations, in emergency situations, that you find out very quickly how committed you are. So you may be clear about where you want to end up, but you're not actually truly committed. And I approach that that committed side with. That, that mentality with, when you talk about commitment, people, when you say I'm afraid of failing, that's not commitment. And I would challenge you to think like this, like when you go to the store, your wife says, Hey, go get a, you know, go get a gallon of milk. There is not a strand in your body, mind, or soul that thinks that I may not do this. I, this may not work. And that because you are so committed, you don't even think you can't figure it out. Like, you don't even like, oh, well, what if the store's not open? What, like, you know, it to the very core of your being that you will be able to do it. That is commitment. It's so simple. That is commitment. You want to have beautiful, healthy kids. You want to have be an amazing relationship with your wife. That is commitment. Um, And that's usually what people think about is commitment to your your marriage, but there's more to it. It's commitment to your goals. What do you want? Like, everything we do in life is because we think it'll make us happy. So when you commit to your happiness, that's what it's about. And then it's really easy to take action. And that's where people at some level in their life, that's where a lot of people are missing. They're missing the clarity or the commitment, or usually when there's commitment, you take action easily, but a lot of people do get stuck in taking action. So, but I would say that's probably because they're not truly committed or clear about their goal. So I don't know. That's kind of my, yeah, my life in a nutshell. That's what I figured out. (laughs) Asha, that's deep, man. That's deep. I enjoyed yeah. that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a deep thinker. <laughs> but well, it's great advice too. I mean, like you, you were probably there. I, well, you were there because you saw. I don't know if you saw it in rescue service school, um, but I, I know you saw it in in doc with pararescues. But I watched a kid not committed, and he was not there. We we got night pool, and it was night pool is mm-hmm. not well. In, in the grand scheme of things, night pool is not that big of a deal. Ah, sorry. Night pool is easier than the other days in the other training aspect. And yeah, I watch I a kid just yeah. be like, nope, get out of the pool, walk back in the locker room. Be like, where are you going? He's like, nah, this isn't for me. I'm like, oh, snap, yeah. you just quit. He was not well, committed, though. Yeah. 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 You know what? You know what's a, in it, there's an interesting, when you think about it, too, it's interesting when, um, the fastest way to figure out what you truly want about in life is to do as much as you can. Cause that's when you figure out if you like it or not. Right. Yeah. It's just like when you go to the restaurant, you, if you can try everything, then you know what you truly want to eat. Um, 
but so yeah, like he's, he figured it out. He's like, ah, I don't want to do this. Right. But um, so yeah, there's a lot to be said. I mean, you know, David Goggins, you ever read his stuff? Oh yeah. Love David Goggins book. That's yeah. awesome. Can't hurt me. That he, his yeah. mentality so, is, is another level too. Like what he strives for in, in his drive to get, to push the mind beyond what the body can handle is it. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I, if, if nobody's listened to that book or read that book, highly recommend it. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. David Goggins. So, Hold on. Yeah. Shout out to him. And I'm not talking trash. This is in his story, yeah. but he, um, but that's part of his thing, right? Yeah. He realized I don't want to be fat and lazy. Right. Yep. And so he, he actually joined pararescue, didn't make it, went back you know, and, and then later became a seal. So like that is part of the process. So you do have to, sometimes you do have to try things out to figure out what you really want out of life and don't want out of life. But if, when you, when you understand that process, it doesn't become so bad. Like, right. you know, a lot of people look at failure as like, uh, we even, and I said it earlier, like we give trophies away for failure, but at the same time, like you can't, that's, you're breeding this nonchalant way of, of life. And like, that's why there's so much unhappiness. That's why, you know, people are unhappy with their job, with their family life, because it doesn't matter. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, they're not, yeah, they're not, there's no satisfaction at, you know, in, in that, in playing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's no oh, satisfaction. I, in that. Well, you know, and actually to bring it back to David Goggins specifically, you know, and I don't want to give away the whole book, but in Pararescue, he actually talks about it in the book where, he quit. He, he had an excuse. Somebody else gave him an excuse and he took it and he quit. And there's a difference oh, between yeah. like, I can't do it versus like, ah, uh, no, I'm, I'm going to use their reasoning to quit, you know, and only you're the oh, one yeah. that knows the difference, you know, um, you, you want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that <laughs> because I was a staff sergeant. We also had like two, we had three friggin' uh, lieutenant and then like two colonels or three colonels that tried out too. But um, I think, or captain, I can't remember. Anyway, we had a bunch of officers, but they were like, anybody that wants to quit, you got to come talk to Ashton and he's going to try. I don't know why they wanted me to talk people out of quitting. Come on, uh, Hollywood. So at night, every, <laughs> yeah, every night they were, there would be a line outside my door of guys that are, coming to talk to me. So I got to hear all these reasons that people are thinking about quitting. And the interesting thing is, like I said, everything accelerates in these environments, in war and emergency situations and selections like this. And people get to realize really quickly. Um, anyway, so people would line up on my side and all these excuses would come out. But I started to realize that these excuses didn't happen yesterday or the day before, or when we were in the pool or running or whatever. These excuses started long before, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, like guys would come in and like, oh, my, my girlfriend is, doesn't think she can take me being away this long. And I'm like, what are you talking? Like, okay, then quit. Get the fuck out of here. I, yeah. You're I'm <laughs> cutting into my rest time, you know? And so like, I'd have to talk to all these kids. And it, it was like, the, the other thing I think is really interesting too, is when you have that mentality, so you'll have this, there are guys that'll be like, I won't quit. I'll, I'll die before I quit. Right. Well, they're, they've already quit mentally and their body is going to give out. And so those are the guys, they end up getting injured. They end up having trouble because they're not aligned. 
Um, I have a business coach. He talks about alignment all the time and I, he's absolutely right. And I buy into it hundred percent. When you're not aligned with your goal, your thoughts, your minds, your action, your, 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 everything you're doing, things will manifest in your life. And this isn't like mumbo, like magic mumbo jumbo stuff. This is reality. Like your body will react to how you think. I don't care what you, any, any man has, or woman has, that has ever imagined a scary scenario or a fighting scenario and felt their adrenaline rise, even when there's nothing going on, like because of their imagination, that's the effect of the mind on the body. And it goes like 10 levels deeper than that. But like when people start to think like that, like this is really hard, I can't do this, right. um, you know, but I'm going to, I'll die before I ever quit. They may not quit, but their body will. They're right. the ones that end up with the shin splints, the chronic shin splints. They're the ones that end up getting injured. They're the, like, you see it. It happens yeah. very fast in those kind of situations, but it's the same with anything else. So with your, think about with your marriage, like I'm huge on marriage too, because, you know, we work through a lot of that in my deployments. My wife respected how driven I was to do what I wanted to do. But at the same time, you know, it's tough for her being home and run you know, me away all the time. So um, having, I was being very intentional. I had to be very intentional. We had to about developing our, what we wanted out of our marriage. Right. And so when people enter these situations, when they enter marriage school, whatever, with this mentality, like, um, you know, I don't like this, but I'm gonna work through it. You're not aligned with the end goal. So things will come up. It's going to be harder than it normally would. Right. And, it, and it, that is, a, it's a really weird dynamic dynamic to you get, we're getting into some other stuff here. I'm a huge into philosophy and psychology and stuff, but I'm enjoying getting it. into some other things. Yeah. Like, well, when you think about it, if you're not aligned with the end goal um, and it's, it becomes harder and harder, but when we get to the end, we always, we're always like, yes, it was so hard. And if it wasn't hard, for some reason, we don't think we deserve it. Imagine when you see that 21 year old driving that Lamborghini, the first thing that comes into like blue collar people's heads is like, who the fuck gave that to, he didn't earn that. <laughs> you're like, you know what I mean? And you're totally. like, but that's the wrong man. That's the wrong mentality. The mentality should be, he must be so, he must be so good at what he did or so aligned with that, that he earned that it came easy to him. Yeah. That's what you want, right? You want yeah. to go to rescue swimmer school and it be easy. You want it to, but at the same time, you don't because you can't brag about it unless it's hard. It's right. this weird, that's so weird, right? <laughs> and so I got like my whole business now, I do a lot of passive income with real estate. Um, and so that's a weird dime. It's like this weird block in people's minds. Like if it's not hard, I didn't, didn't earn it and I don't deserve it, which is BS, man. You, you have so much value in you that it should absolutely be easy. And so that was in my goals. When I wrote going to pararescue, I wrote my goals down. I want, I want to graduate pararescue and I want it to be easy. And I'll tell you, I enjoyed every fucking minute of it. I enjoyed sleeping in the mud, face down, carrying my buddies. Like I enjoyed, yeah, it was awesome. Embrace and I still, the suck. Enjoy, I'd, I'd go back into, yeah, embrace the suck. Absolutely. Embrace it. Like that's part of the process. Yeah. Um, hey, if it was know. easy, everybody would and, do it. And it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's also part of the mentality of like, if it's not hard, it's not worth anything. I, I'm kind of against that. Like if you're aligned with it, it's easy. I mean, it, it is right. Like that's you want to be there. Right. You want right. you wanted to be at rescue swimmer school. You want to do, do that. You were not going to quit. You wanted to have that, um, <laughs> that experience. And so you did, but that guy that you're talking about that quit, 
He didn't want it. No, didn't want it. You know, and you could, if we want to make this for everybody, like not everybody's a rescue swimmer, not everybody's a paramedic, sure. you know, not everybody's a PJ. I am not a PJ. Right. But you know what? The, every one of us, everybody in the world can go to a gym. Everybody can go get a workout yeah. in. Everybody. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care the ailment you have. You can go get a workout. Half the battle is getting to the gym. Mindset number one. The second mindset of it is finishing the workout. And then from there, yeah. you just, that's the, those are the two easiest things you can do. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Like the whole mindset of it, go to the gym or go get a workout in, finish it. Yeah. You know, all the rest of the stuff in between yeah. your workout, it can, it can be hard. It can be an easy. Where's your alignment? I'm with you, man. Oh, this is deep. I yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. You're one thought away from taking that first step to the yeah. life you want and whatever yeah. it is. So yeah, I'm a huge mindset guy. Yeah. Ashton, this has been freaking awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. I love talking about this stuff, man. I mean, like I do, I enjoy it. I enjoy being challenged and I enjoy figuring out how to, you know, make it easy. <laughs> and uh actually I, i'll throw one more thing out there for you because you are you're currently running a your own company the valkyrie is that mm-hmm. the one and you're about yep. to start yep. a podcast or have just started a podcast so you have to just throw that out podcast, there yeah yep. i get to be yeah. a guest whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah so yeah share that'll a be fun there that'll yeah. be fun but, yeah um, i get to hear your story now Hey, come on. It'll be good. So I'll tell you what, tell everybody what the podcast is and your business and and kind of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, So the podcast called The Art of Winning. It's all about building health, wealth, and happiness. It's really focused on what what we just talked about. And so there's a lot of aspects of what health, wealth, and happiness looks like. And there's a lot of tactics, tools, and tricks to get there. Um, but again, it does start with where do you want, what do you want? You want to make a million dollar million dollars in a year. We'll talk about that there. You want to be change the financial footprint for your family, for the rest of the generations to come. We talk about that. You want to change your health. We talk about that. Um, we talk about the mindset that actually builds happiness and, and focus and drive and all that stuff. So uh, some really cool guests on there because my business so my company is uh, Valkyrie Investment Group, and it's actually spelled V-A-L-K-E-R-E, which is an anagram of my last name. Nice. Um, yeah. And that one's all, yeah, it's all about building passive income through real estate investing. Um, you can always check out our website, Valkyrie Investment Group. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, we do focus a lot on, on the financial side, which seems to be one of the more popular things people can talk about, uh, or, or we have been able to talk about because there's so many people that have there's so many different strategies to building wealth um so yeah you can check out the website we have a great website you see me and my brother and our families right on there hard to miss um but it's been fun man incredible ashton this has been totally awesome thank you so much for uh joining me and telling not only the rescue stories but giving some great advice great advice much appreciated I appreciate so, it, man. Yeah, thank and, uh, you. I, I love being on here. So, yeah, well, heck, anytime, man. Come on. Go, go. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you might have to do a couple more rescues. So, I don't know what you. 
<laughs> like find somebody on like a, a, a car crash or something. Just go, go to it and then you can come back on and tell us all about it. <laughs> I've done a car crash. <laughs> I, okay. Okay. Go ahead. T- tell me the car crash. <laughs> tell me the car crash. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've done a couple actually, you know, it's America. There's tons of car crashes. I've, I pulled a me and Darren Smith pulled a girl and her, her kid out of a burning car up in Washington state. Everybody's just driving by. It was crazy. Yeah. Cars on fire. And Darren Smith, uh, rest his soul. One of my best friends, he's, um, he, he's passed, but, um, yeah, we were just, he was on his way out leaving and I was on my way in and we spent a weekend together up in Washington state. Um, cause I was going to the advanced rescue swimmer school okay. and, uh, out there and he had just finished it. And so we were hanging out and we were driving somewhere up in Seattle, I think, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, on the highway. And then there's some lady in her car and it's just burning. And we're like, what the, what the hell? Everybody's just driving right by. And so we jump out and pulled them out, um, pulled them upwind and waited for the ambulance. Dude, you're the man. <laughs> No, I'm I'm ending it. I'm ending it on that. <laughs> Ashton, you yeah. are the man. Thank you so much for coming on, dude. This is awesome. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Oh, I'll talk to you. Oh, I will very much talk to you soon. It's gonna be good. <laughs> and with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.